We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Big Blue Banter Podcast, where we aim to combine game film evaluations, analytics, and common sense to give you the latest and breaking news on the New York football giants. I'm Dan Schneier, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Nick Turchin. Today, we're going to dive a little deeper into the defensive line and edge prospects we haven't touched on yet, ones that could be in the mix for the Giants with picks number 6, 17, 37, and beyond that. We're also going to create a mock draft that puts both Nick and I on the clock as the Giants general manager. And then finally, we will answer all of the questions from our listeners. So let's jump right into this thing, Nick. And recent buzz and Vegas odds seem to suggest the Jets are honed in on selecting Ed Oliver and number three overall. Nick, if the Jets pass on Oliver, is he someone the Giants should draft? And where does he land on your Giants-specific big board, one that factors in fit, team needs, and talent? Yeah, over uh, six foot two, two hundred eighty-seven pounds, um, just a freak and a really good get-off, really good, um, really explosive athlete, kind of a raw pass rusher. Um, I see him. I struggle with him at the sixth pick, and I struggle with him as a fit for the Giants. Um, he's a great player. I just can't see taking someone in the first call at twenty, twenty-five picks. Um, of round one and have him being a sub package guy and just a non-starter. And so for him to play the three tech or if the Giants vary the front, he's kind of somewhere around the tackle um, that way. I, I don't think that one, I think this defense has many other needs where you need a consistent starter day one um, you know, for that, for that top 10 pick that the Giants are lucky enough to have basically. So, you know, I can't get there. And for the role, I, I honestly don't see the Giants really think to somewhere in the second round. They have one second round pick, right? So at the top of the second round, um, we're towards the top of the second round. So that's where I see him. I think that his big limitations is, is in the run game against combination blocks. And as well, 
Um, I think overall, uh, you know, his although he had a ton of statistics, he 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 his body control and ability to finish. I'm not really sure if he can do that right away level against the run. Yeah, I mean, these are concerns. And as far as the Giants' supposed interest in Oliver, it really starts and ends with ESPN's Jordan Ronan, who recently said that he would be, you know, number one or number two on the Giants' draft board alongside Devin White as it currently stands at number six overall. Uh, The Giants have spent a pre-draft private visit on Ed Oliver. They've done that with, you know, 26 players at least publicly reported. They have 30, so four others have met with the Giants. We don't know who they are. He's not publicly, publicly, um, but that doesn't guarantee anything. Giants met with a lot of top prospects last year before selecting Saquon Barkley and players who were not going to be in the mix for them at number 34 overall. But let's say, Nick, the Giant, I mean, the Jets do select Oliver at three, and the buzz is correct. It will likely cause one of either Josh Allen or Quinn and Williams to fall to the Giants at number six. Let's say it's Josh Allen. Is If he does fall to number six, is that a no-brainer pick for the Giants? I don't know about no brainer. Challenge is a great player at 6'5, 262 pounds. He's he's probably he may be the freakest athlete in this in this draft. Um, there's a play that I didn't cut, but I uh, where he basically um, basically picks up or carries a crosser in the end zone as a, as a 262 pound dude and breaks up a pass that I don't even know if a corner could could have made the play. Uh, in the in the corner of the end zone, um, it's the, the the area where I struggle with with a no brainer for the Giants um, is within his use of hands and his counter moves and his basically his basically his pass rush. And those that haven't looked at Kentucky's tape, um, he's improved mightily, like incredibly, from his junior to his senior year. His body's really changed as well. But he only rushed the passer maybe on maybe thirty to fifty percent of snaps max. Um, it was really a third down pass rusher because their front, the way they were playing him, he was mostly in space. So he was mostly a cover guy. There were guys in his junior year who thought that he was going to basically potentially be a stack backer or a Sam linebacker uh, in a 4-3. Um, I definitely think he's going to be an edge rusher in this draft. I just think that his evaluation, his fifth of the Giants at six, would actually have least amount to do with his tape, which takes it out of my realm, and more to do with his interview, his coachability, his willingness to learn pass rush moves, and then his basically fit within how they think his production would be from day one, because I think the Giants, if they're going to spend this sixth pick on a pass rusher, they need to get enough enough generated uh, disruption in the in the pass rush game alone uh, to, to justify it that high. I think you bring up some really interesting points there, Nick. Um, you know, the Giants are hell bent, according to this one report, on finding a pass rusher, and you don't need a report to tell you that. It's very obvious <laughs> now. I have seen what you've seen, what you just mentioned, Nick, is something I've seen lately that people are questioning, you know, if he has, if he currently is the past, the elite pass rusher prospect, or it, not prospect, I'll say if he's currently an elite pass rusher. And while, you know, there is a lot of people who are in your boat that say, you know, he needs to improve some of his uh, moves, some of his ability to cause disruption as a pass rusher. I believe that that's part of the projection. And in this process, when you see guys like, uh, you know, when you see reports like the Giants are interested in a player like Rashawn Gary, it's because there's also projection involved in these draft picks. When the Giants selected Jason Pierre-Paul, he only had six and a half sacks his final season at UCF. So, I mean, or USF, sorry. So, I mean, there is a lot of projection, I believe, that goes into the Giants when it comes to valuing pass rushers. And this dates back all the way to guys like OC and Yoram before that. So, I think when you look at his fit, potential fit for James Betcher's scheme, his ability to do things like you talk about, play different positions, versatility, um, his ability to drop if they need him to, his uh, character profile, which you mentioned. 
all of those things his, his big jump that he made you know all of these things i think factor in for dean gettleman and the way he's trying to build this roster so for me it would be a slam dunk pick and i think for the giants it would be as well but say that's not the case uh, i want to talk about another player nick who you know would not surprise me if he was in the mix at number six overall though i know it would surprise a lot of people and I know I put a lot more into certain athletic testing drills than others in my evaluation process. Pro, I'm sorry, process for specific positions. You know, the two that have stood out to me the most in predicting NFL success uh, are the short shuttle and the three cone, and specifically for defensive linemen and offensive linemen. Burns, Brian Burns, uh, Florida State ed, ed, edge player, outside linebacker, probably for the Giants if he if he is drafted here. You know, he combined dominant athletic testing in these specific drills, among others. And he had the most total pressures of any pass rusher in 2018, according to PFF. Nick, would you target Burns for the Giants situation? And if so, at what pick? Yeah, Brian Burns is a he's he's a real interesting guy to break down with Florida State because they played basically a four, they played a four two five most of the time. So he was a traditional edge rusher, but he dropped off into coverage a lot. And although he came at the combine at 249, he definitely got closer to 235. So he was definitely undersized. The biggest thing that I liked about him is despite his lack of size, his use of his active use of hands, he was able to handle off in the running game. And although it was against ACC tackles uh, for the most part, when I watched him, um, you know, you had a guy who, who was already pretty advanced in his use of hands. So although I could definitely see the Giants targeting this guy, I don't know about the sixth pick overall. And I think he's going to go somewhere between eight and 14. Um, I, the only reason why is because if I had struggles with, um, you know, with Ed Oliver as a three tech being undersized in the run game, you know, Ken Burns, does Burns have the upper body functional strength to be able to handle, um, to be able to handle, uh, uh, basically, uh, to basically handle the run game when it comes to his side. Um, I honestly, I, I think he's going to be in the mix, but I don't know if he's going to be there at 17. I think six is a touch too high. Uh, just because of those things. And I think that, you know, can he start day one on the edge? I don't, I don't know. Um, I think that there's a little bit, you have to see him play at 240, at that 249 weight that he weighed in at the combine. Um, and I think that, I think that he can get there though. I think his upside is tremendous. So I'm right on the fence there. If, if it's not six, it would be very close to there. Believe it or not, I actually do see a scenario where the Giants drafted another position at six and then draft up to get him in right. the 10th to 12th. Position. Yeah, I think that that might be the most realistic way for them to actually have a chance to get him. Because like you said, there are concerns about not only his playing weight, but can he translate to the NFL as a run stopper right away? Because if not, like you said, then you're drafting a sub-package player at least at the start of his career at number six overall. So I think you hit it. You you really hit it now on the head there. Maybe he's not as in play at six as I think he might be as a sleeper, but as a possible trade-up candidate. But let me talk about a player who I think is an actual sleeper to be selected at number six overall. There's starting to be some buzz about him potentially going to the Giants at six, and I think if it breaks a certain way, it could happen. He's a captain. He's a leader. He's an excellent student. Um, and there has been loose comparisons thrown his way to Fletcher Cox for his ability to disrupt the quickness as a pass rusher. Yes, we're talking about one of my personal favorites in this draft, Christian Wilkins. Is he as good as advertised, Nick? And would you target him for the Giants? And if so, at what pick? 
Yeah, he certainly is uh, as is as good as advertised. Um, I see him uh, basically as a, as a starting three tech in this league, uh, in either a three four or four three. The 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 bigger specification being a one gap def, uh, defense. I would say most vast majority. 90% of all fronts that, that could play in the NFL are one-gap schemes. It's not nearly as variable as the college level. So he was asked to two-gap at the college level, and he struggled a little bit there. Um, he struggled a little bit versus versus combo blocks. Uh, and overall, with his play strength, despite being a 315-pound dude, but I definitely still do think that he can be there um, at and, and as high as six, definitely. Uh, just because of his, his, his ability to generate pressure from the inside, like you mentioned, the the character aspects of him, I think, fit more into Gettleman's ideal. Now, people would say, okay, so you're kind of describing someone who, um, you know, the Giants saw some weakness versus combo blocks this year as well. And, and basically, I'm thinking that Wilkins would, would play inside and could start inside. I think he could start over Tomlinson. Maybe not right away, but within the first six to eight games. And I do think it's a similar profile to Tomlinson in that they both – give too much ground to combo blocks and have to rely on their athleticism at times to basically make the play. But I just think right away, and it just hit me crystallized when I, when I was watching the tape, his upside is way better than Tomlinson's. It's, it's just way, it, yeah. it's, it's not even fair. So when you look at that, I actually look at this as a draftable position where you could immediately upgrade the pass rush. You could do it in a way that, that attacks the quick games. That's what he's really good at getting. You know, interior guys get to the get to the pass rusher with power and speed faster than guys on the edge a lot of times. And with less five to seven to step drops in the NFL now, there's a premium towards those three tech players. Yes. Um, and so anyway, so that that's what I do. I think he's the best combo of of those elements where I will take the the hit in the run game a little bit because of the other things that he brings. I understand that people think he has a little bit of a limited ceiling. I don't see him as much of a of a Cox because he doesn't have that power, that yeah. raw power that Cox has. And so actually, and we'll get to a guy later. I think is very is a little bit closer to Cox. Um, and uh, and so anyway, I, and I think the the biggest thing that I actually liked about it was his his change of direction and his motor reminded me a lot of Harrison. And and obviously he's a lot lighter than Snacks is, but he's just that guy that in the, in the interior can make a play at any point when you need it. And he's a like you said, he's a captain. He's a guy that I would absolutely be be all for at that at that spot. Yeah, Nick. I mean, I'm looking at a player who, according to PFF, uh, on their pass rush productivity measurement, which is actually my favorite measurement from a production standpoint. Uh, when I personally, just for me, what I like to do because what it does is it totals every pressure, you know, hit, hurry, and sack combined. And as everyone who's listening to this knows, I'm not a big fan of the sack, sack statistic. I'm all about quarterback hurries and hits. And it divides it by, you know, the chances they actually get rush the passer. It's not just total snaps. And he was the only one who came in behind Quentin Williams on the interior defensive line. When you couple that with what you see on tape is change of direction skills. You know, he opened on Daniel Jeremiah's big board as the number four overall player. He's since dropped seven on that big board. Um, you couple all those things with the character, and to me, it's, he's a slam dunk prospect and someone who I would not think is a reach if the Giants select him at number six. Um, another player who, you know, was in the mix, I think, for the Giants at six until recently is Montez Sweat, and he tore up the combine. Everyone knows that, but he also has the production to back it up. 22 sacks for the last two seasons. Nick, I got the same question for you, just new prospect. How would Sweat fit what the Giants do, and where would you target um, sweats, sweats, interesting. Um, you know, I watched both the 17 and more recently is 18 tape. I'm into the second game. It was 18 tape right before this week. We went to record. Um, 
He's a he's a very good athlete. He's that has improved year over year. He's a guy that has plays really well with leverage. He's a, his strength has increased year over year. <clears throat> I see him more in that traditional bookend defensive end with maybe a little more limited upside than guys see um, than other guys see. Uh, I think that his in general you're gonna you're gonna get a good player, but I don't see him at the sixth spot. Um, I'm not sure he really for the Giants. I don't. He he wasn't asked to drop back into coverage, and again, that doesn't necessarily mean he can't do it. Um, but I I don't really think that he. I, I don't see his movement skills because he's not really a very fluid mover. He's a little he's a little uh, non fluid, <laughs> I guess is the way to say it. Uh, and I just it, it for me his upper body's a little stiff too, where I'm not sure that um, I'm not sure that he is the is the right fit for the Giants really as a three tech. I don't think so in, in sub package. And I don't think as an edge as an edge rusher either. Uh, so I'd actually kind of not have him at, at you know as high. I would see it in the second round from a value perspective. I guess he's not going to get there. Um, and and I think that overall, yeah, I think his his ceiling there. I think he needs a, I think he still needs some full some some development on his pass rush skills. But also too, I think the medical is going to scare people here. And and that is although people the reports very very high of him at, at Mississippi State in terms of his character. There's there's stuff going on there. So I think it overall it's a little bit more risk pick and not really. Doesn't really fit that profile mold for the job. Yeah, I think that the medical stuff is actually going to take him off the board, Nick. And I think it, you know, he actually has a better chance than you think to drop into the second round because of it. Uh, heart condition is very, very serious um, for a prospect. I know, you know, when I was just, just an anecdote from my days when I was in high school, um, you know, I was the reporter on the sideline covering the football team, but I was friends with a lot of the players and we had an offensive tackle, a left tackle Lloyd, and he, you know, he was, going he was getting recruited by places like temple but you know he had a heart condition that eventually led to him not being able to play college football um and this is something you know of it so we don't actually know and you know i'm not even sure nfl teams will have full access to his medical but it's definitely going to scare some teams and i think it will take him off the giants draft board but i will talk about a player without you know these medical concerns who i think has dave gettleman written all over him nick we'll see if you can come up with with just who this is based on me saying one thing and that's I think he's got Gettleman written all over him just based solely on his ability to move laterally at his size. Um, it's actually quite impressive when you watch him. And I'm talking about Dexter Lawrence, another Clemson defensive lineman. And, you know, they do already have Dalvin Tomlinson and BJL on the roster, and they've, but they've made it clear, as we've discussed, they're not going to hesitate to draft a position that's perceived to be a, uh, a less of a need. So, and this is something he's done in the past, Gettleman. So what do you make of Lawrence and his potential fit for the Giants? Yeah, Lawrence is I mean, he's at six six three fifty, or and I think actually three forty two. And the guy, I mean, his movement skills are, are absolutely crazy. Um, very, very. I think he was a five star recruit for Clemson. Um, I the only thing that I'm just not sure. I I see him as more of a fourth as a more of a four three two gapper and uh, or consistent four three under front two gapper. And I'm just not sure if, if the Giants would 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 put someone like that. Um, with with although he's not limited in his pass rushing skills, his pass rushing skills are developing. He certainly right. has the athletic talents to get there, but it's you're talking about a guy that I think if you're will, I would think of this way for the Giants for potential fit the way their mindset work. If you're trading Snacks Harrison for a fourth or fifth rounder, you know how do you value a guy like Lawrence? Where they're not their body types are very different. Like Lawrence's is 
is, is interesting. He doesn't even really look like he's 340 pounds. So it's not like he's, he's not that massive kind of hulking guy in the middle, but I just don't, I, I actually don't really see with the giants kind of set up with, with two guys right now. I think if they're going to go with an interior guy, you've got to have a guy that has the bona fide ability to get to, to, to collapse the pocket. Yeah. I think he can, but I don't know if it's, it's not at that level yet. Um, it's not the level where you would say in the first or second round. Yeah, I mean, I view him as a little better of an overall prospect than you do, but I think our our mindset is pretty much the same here. I think, you know, for this James Betcher defense, if they're going to take an interior guy, he's going to have a little bit more of a defined pass rush plan right now, um, right away, because that's what they want right away. And I will say this, Nick, and, you know, when you have a draft like this where there are three defensive linemen from the same team who are all projected as first-round picks like Clemson has – I think that more times than not, you see that one doesn't end up panning out in the NFL and one was a benefactor of the players around him. For me, that would be Clone Farrell. I know you're a little higher on Farrell. We talked about him last podcast, but I do think that, you know, there is some risk inherent in that, in the fact that, you know, some of these guys are definitely, maybe one of these guys is benefiting just from the play around him on the defensive line. And, you know, that's something we can debate for another podcast, but I think it's something to consider for sure. Um, but I wanted to ask you about another player real quick, Nick, as we close out kind of these edge guys. And, you know, it's a player who some analysts I know that I really trust view as a top five player just overall in this entire class. I've even seen, you know, one analyst, and I don't want to give it away yet who it is, say that he could be the number one player in this class. And he tore his ACL during the pre-draft process, and now no one really knows where he's going to get selected. And, yeah, I'm talking about Jeffrey Simmons, a Mississippi State defensive lineman. Um, how does he compare, in your opinion, to the top, not the mid guys, the top interior defensive linemen in this class, the Quinn Williams, the Ed Oliver types, maybe even the Christian William uh, Wilkins types at the top of the draft. And is he as good as advertised? Definitely as good as advertised, and he's right there. Uh, he's, in fact, I would have him. He's the closest guy in this draft, I think, to flex or to, you know, no one's Aaron Donald. I mean, you can't teach that and. and <laughs> There's so many examples of guys like you're not going to find the next Aaron Donald, but in terms of a Cox comparison, the guy is just unbelievable. The only word I used, I kept writing my notes, was dominant. You know, from his, his, his get off to his ability to play on the outside, which, by the way, Fletcher Cox did at college as well. You know, he can, this guy can rush from the five and tech with very comfortably. Uh, you know, he can get in stunts. He's like a, he's like a bowling ball. Uh, and his use of hands really is, I wrote almost elite in my notes. I read it right now. I've only, like I said, I've only seen two games, two and a half games from this season um you know i think that the the medical obviously is going to get him into a spot where you know it's he's, he's the lower part of the first round the upper part of the second round um i think that you're gonna look at teams like the eagles who are going to jump on him if he was there at 25 um i think that for the giants it's if the Giants were farther along in their turnaround i think this would be absolutely in play um, but I think that where they are now, they're just not in a position to take a guy who might not, you know, is going to have this level of risk with him coming off an injury. Um, but he absolutely is a, you know, honestly, of all guys that I didn't really think would surprise me as much on tape, the upside here is is crazy. It's really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I see it too. And now I see the upside overall. I see the upside in the Giants specific scheme, scheme for Simmons. I didn't have him ranked in my top 10, but it's only for the Giants when I put out a big board. But that's only because of the injury. Um, and I do think you hit it nail on the head here, Nick. I don't know if they're in position right now to really target him. I think one of those, you know, Super Bowl contending teams in the back half of the first round will view it as value and will view their situation as one where they can afford to take a swing on Simmons at that spot. But if the Giants do break the trend, um, break the wheel and buck the trend, 
as Daenerys Targaryen would say, break the wheel and trade back for the first time in Dave Gettleman's career as general manager. And actually, you know, it would be for the first time in the last 13 draft classes uh, for the Giants, actually 14 dating back to 2007. It's been a long time since they traded back, even though, you know, economic studies have shown that teams should always look to trade back and never trade up. Um, if they do buck that trend, I think he could be in play for sure. You know, a deal that would maybe trade back with a team like the Texans who are looking to get a top offensive tackle at 17 could work out. So I think that would put him in play, but I don't think he'll be there at 37 overall. So if people were getting their hopes up on that, I, I doubt it. Um, we're going to transition away from um, from the edge guys after one more guy that I had to touch on, or two more guys actually that, that I had to touch on. And those are a couple sleepers I like in this class, or at least I like one of them. Uh, and we're talking about TCU's guys, Ben Banigou and DJ Collier. Where do you stand on those two potential pass rusher sleepers, not sleepers totally, but more in that mid round range for the giants day two uh, picks. Um, and which one would you target if you were the giants? Yeah. The TCU is interesting defense. I mean, it's like speed, speed, speed. Everyone's on steroids flying around. Um, you know, they play over two five, but they morph into a lot of other fronts besides that their edge rushers are asked to do a lot. So that checks couple boxes for the Giants in terms of their ability to drop back. Um, overall, though, I, I struggled with both to get to a spot for, you know, anything better than really like the third round. And I think that the if the Giants are going to look at, at either guy, it would be Benugu. Um, I think uh, Collier just is he's a little too stiff and he's just he's raw. And at the end of the day, I, I actually struggled seeing these guys finish. Um, in, the, in the four or five games that I watched, I just finished consistently. Like, you know, they're going so fast that their body control at that high level was actually like, you know, struggling, you know, getting the ball on the ground and that type of thing. Um, but Benagu, he's a, he's a really interesting story. Um, you know, he actually broke his femur back in, I guess it was high school uh, on a chop block. And so this guy's dealt with some resiliency early. Um, you know, overall, I think he's, why the Giants would like him is he's definitely very twitchy. And, he's, and he has a way to win on the low side with speed, which I think they would like at stunts. And I think he's the type of he's going to be the type of guy for a team that, um, you know, if you have a D lineman that's really good with helping guys with, with use of hands, uh, that he could definitely benefit from that. Um, and overall, I think he's going to be interesting. He's an interesting prospect just because, too, you know, it's it's that it's that it's that short area equipment, that short area twitch that I think is going to be better than than both his uh, both Collier and then as well as uh, you know for a third round kind of in this round type range. Yeah, Nick, it's interesting because I you know I love Banigo. I think that you know first I liked his I liked his production at TCU, which was completely underrated and you know went under the radar. Then I liked his athletic frame, his his fit. His fit. I think for the Giants on that edge, and then really he tested out really, really well in the drills that I look for uh, for that edge position. I don't actually think he's going to be on the board or even close to it at number ninety-five overall. So I think he's one of those guys who could be like a surprise pick at thirty-seven that people don't see coming, and the Giants just say, "Screw it, uh, we like him here." Or you know, one of those guys they trade back into the th the beginning of the third round or the end of the second round for because you know, as we'll get to later in the show in my draft predictions, I do think. A move like that will happen, and I'll touch on that a little bit later. But um, that's kind of where I stand on Benagu. And and obviously with Collier, I'm not as huge a fan uh, from what I've seen, and that's just kind of from watching them together and seeing, you know, comparing their production and their profile and how they might fit Giants. But before we move on to our next segment, Nick, was there anyone else? Because I always find this interesting. It's kind of like with the Giants last year when they were scouting Bradley Chubb and BJ, Phil, uh, BJ Hill flashed on film. Did that happen for you with any of these prospects at any of the other positions kind of while watching these D linemen or these edge guys? 
You know, it's embarrassing is I, uh, I turned on Montez Sweat and I literally the first thing was who the hell is number 94. I actually forgot about Simmons. So that's where, that's where the Simmons investigation started kind of after the, uh, after that, he was by far the, the biggest one I mentioned there, uh, within the whole to state defense, I would, I would mention those guys there. Um, just because they're, they're, they look the closest to a pro team that I've seen really, you know, besides like Alabama and Clemson and those and those types of guys. So SEC team, a lot of speed, a lot of power though too. I liked uh, Jonathan Abrams, the safety, um, and the reason why I liked him, and I don't have to go too far into this because I don't think he's going to be on the board for the Giants because right, his fundamentally he's not exactly um, he's he's a safety, he's a little undersized, but he embraces. Let me start why I like him. He embraces the hybrid role. When you hear him interviewed. He's all about it, and he understands the value of, of being a jackknife. And he played for Jeremy Pruitt when uh, he was at Georgia in 2015. Then JUCO, and then went to Mississippi State. He's kind of he, he's a leader, and he's kind of a guy that under, that has like a little bit different view of the world than most. Um, he's almost a little outspoken, but the guy just absolutely positively lays the lumber. That's what I really like about him. He is kind of like Jabril Peppers. If Pe- Peppers, all Peppers wanted to do was take people's heads off. Um, and I think a really good athlete, the, his issue is in space, I think, on deeper routes, it's kind of caught and it's in kind of no man's land. And there are going to be guys that when they watch his tape, they're going to go, hey, you know, that reminds a lot of when Collins, what I or what people perceive to be Collins' is issue in coverage. And so I think that the, from a safety position, they may be kind of locked up now because I think that Abrams to go uh, in the second round somewhere, second maybe, maybe very early day three as a reach. So I don't think the Giants are going to be there. Um, but he's one of those guys, though, where it's just funny when you listen to players talk. You guys that have actually played dime safety as a stack backer and the end, um, you know, and, and then deep half safety and can blitz and can do all these things and then embrace it. Most guys are explaining themselves like, you know, why I, why I wasn't starting definitively in one role. And then this guy's embracing it. So I just think that attitude is what stood out, stood out to me more so. Um, and just someone who for maybe the next three to five years, the Giants will, will, will look for him. It's interesting because, you know, the versatility and the, and the smarts that you talk about should definitely be high up on the Giants range. But I think the way you, I look at this class, Nick, and the safety class in, specific, uh, in particular, and judging, you know, I'm taking Dave Gettleman's comments during his pre-draft presser at heart. I believe that he believes safety and cornerback defensive backs are deep in this class, according to what they're looking for to pair with Peppers, because Peppers is going to be here for a long time. It's why they traded for him. Um, so I think based on that, we'll probably target somebody a little bit later in the draft, but yeah. definitely an interesting name to keep an eye on. And Nick, I think it's time to move on to the next segment, one I'm very excited for. And it's going to put us both on the clock. Um, I want to make it very clear for this segment, it's going to be what we would do if we were in the position as Giants general manager, not what we think they'll do, because we'll get to that as well. We're going to start by doing this. I'm going to break down a mock draft scenario with the first five picks that puts you on the clock. And then I'm going to do another scenario and another scenario. I want to know who you would pick for the Giants based on their team needs, based on the fit you see in the scheme, and based on your overall prospect evaluation, not based on anything else, not based on what you've heard the Giants might do, not based on what the Giants have historically done, any of that. So let's say this scenario plays out, Nick. Kyler Murray, first overall. Nick Bosa goes off the clock at number or goes off the board at number two. Ed Oliver goes to the Jets at number three. The Raiders take Quinn and Williams at four, and the Buccaneers take Devin White at five. If those first picks go down in that way, who would you select for the Giants at number six overall? Uh, you'd have to go with Haskins. 
um, quarterback, you, you know, you got a guy who, yeah, if we've been through, we've been through it from my side of it. And yeah, that's, that's kind of in, I was going to say it's an easy selection. I think that Haskins is the guy that he can, I think he can start by the back end of this year, at least as like a, almost like a floor. I think his ability to distribute the ball uh, on time and on schedule. And, a, and the other side of it too, is I think his ceiling, I'm higher on a ceiling than most, I guess, because uh, you know, his, his desire and his, his his intelligence are gonna are gonna make a big big difference for to make his decision making better and better. And he's continually shown improvement through only, after only one year of playing. I, I think that's that's the, that, that's your six pick. I had a feeling you're gonna go that direction, Nick. So I'm gonna put you in an even tougher spot soon uh, when we go over other scenarios. But I'm gonna start with my situation. If I was on the clock here in this scenario, and for me it would be Josh Allen. Um, I've talked about earlier about my feelings on Allen, and I'll talk a little bit about my feelings on Haskins. I think they're often misinterpreted uh, by other people who, who, you know, interact with me about the Giants on Twitter and whatnot. I have Haskins as the 11th player on my board. I don't dislike Haskins. For me, my issue with Haskins, Nick, is not, you know, what some others have expressed. I actually think he has an incredibly high ceiling. Uh, the more I the more I watch him and the more I break down different aspects about a game. For me, I think he has a much lower floor than people are giving, cre- giving him credit for. I don't see that same floor with somebody like Murray, who for me will only fail if it's due to injury or characters or off-field stuff um, with an arm with arm talent like that. But for, for me, Haskins, I do think there are issues. There not issues. I just think there are concerns with his play speed, with his footwork, and and with just it, maybe what may be his inability to create plays off script. Now, we've seen quarterbacks completely, you know, <laughs> I, I don't I don't I know what the right word is, but kind of erase that as a concern you know players like tom brady and phil rivers don't need to create off script at any point and they're successful so for me i do see the upside there but for me i would go with the player who i think is a surefire perfect fit and i've seen him take over games at the collegiate level when you watch that kentucky penn state bowl game to me that was the best defensive performance by any player all season he was in the backfield every play during that game um so that's where i would go but i'm going to present a different scenario for us for us here nick uh, and here's this scenario. The exact same thing happens at, from picks one through three. Kyler Murray to the Cardinals, Nick Bosa to the Niners, and then obviously Ed Oliver to the Jets. But then at number four, the Raiders pull the shocking pick that I don't think is as shocking as some may think it is, and they go Dwayne Haskins at four. Uh, and then they trade. Uh, it's part of a deal where they trade Derek Carr to some team who for some reason wants to take on that contract. Um, and at number five, Devin White goes off the board again. I do think the Bucks are locked in on him. So – in that scenario, then, who do you go for the Giants uh, at number six overall? So it's basically Williams or or basically Allen or anyone else. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, d- definitely Williams. I think that's kind of that's actually kind of straightforward. Um, I, for me, I think he's top three. So if you get if you get a chance at top three and at the six pick, uh, yeah, I think that he can. You know, he's going to. I think he can start at the interior side. I think he can displace Tomlinson. Um, I think that he makes he adds a ton of versatility to your front, like right away, and that's what Betcher really loves to do. Yeah, Nick. For me, it's the same pick. I'm going Quinn Williams now. For me, it's it's a no brainer, but it's not as much of a no brainer for me as it is for you. Only because I think I value the edge guys more than I value those interior linemen. But you know, overall, to get a player like Williams in this draft class and not have to use the first or second or even third pick, it's a it's a slam dunk. But I'm excited to, to push this last scenario on you, Nick, uh, because it's going to put you to the test. Um, my I've pretty much already said what I would do. But last scenario here is the Cardinals 
pass on Murray. They stick with Josh Rosen. And, you know, today it was funny because Antonio Bryant, former NFL player, tweeted that, his, you know, he has a source that the, that the Cardinals are going to take Bosa. It's over with. But let's just say they pass on Murray at number one overall. And the first picks are some combination to some different teams of Bosa, Quinn and Williams, uh, Devin White, Ed Oliver, and Josh Allen. So now the Giants are on the board at number six, and Haskins and Murray are on the board. Nick, you're on the clock. Where are you taking? Yeah, yeah, Haskins. Haskins for the Giants because my I don't have really many concerns about uh, Murray, but you know if you're gonna have a guy, if you're gonna have a coordinator and you're gonna have an offense predicated on distributing the ball in space to your to your players. A big part of that comes down to the quick game, and um, I, I see Haskins as higher in that in that facet. So if he's the equalizer for your for your pass protection, and if that's your answer as a coordinator, I don't think it's I don't think Murray's the right fit. Which is why I think Murray's the right fit for guy for guys like um, for guys like Kingsbury, and for guys that are willing to kind of go outside that normal box and have different answers, perhaps maybe more on the RPO side and. More on and just basically sticking with going from gun and and doing things that are kind of more accepted as out of the norm per se for NFL offenses. And um, if you're gonna, I think that you you're not gonna find any matches what the Giants are gonna want to do than Haskins. And 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 even if that means that Murray's if Murray's on the board, the other side is too where you know ultimately the decision honestly would would big part of this would be culture fit and um, and where you think that stands. And I just don't think that. He, you don't need a ton of development in the to make your offense run from day one with a guy like Haskin. So I'm gonna hand, I'm gonna tackle this one from two sides, Nick. I'm gonna start with what you said last, the cultural and all of that stuff. Because we don't have access to these interviews with these players, and because we have no idea what is said there between the Giants and those players, it's really impossible to predict where they rank these quarterbacks, in my opinion. Um, and I do think that you know if they don't select, if that scenario you know, happen and they took Haskins over Murray. A lot of that could do have to do with something like that, where they, you know, who they view as the leader for the team. The Giants have made it clear, both Gettleman and Shermer, that they value that, the importance of, of leadership in the off-field stuff, a lot at the quarterback position. Now, having said that, Nick, to tackle the second part of your question, I still have a lot of faith in Pat Shermer as an offensive mind. And I think any coach who can't change his scheme to fit the talent around him is a bad football coach. And I think that I have faith that if the Giants did select Murray, they would change the offense that we've seen so far. And they would stress the importance of different things that fit within Kyler Murray's skill set. I have that confidence based on Shermer, but I, you know, it's something that is up to the up to the, you know, the viewer. It's up to anyone to decide they believe Shermer would do that. And if they did draft Murray and they tried to force feed him into a certain system. It could maybe not work out as well as it would for a guy like Dwayne Haskins. I can totally see your point of view there. I think, you know, with a lot of what we saw the Giants doing in the passing game in 2018, Haskins fits better. But I think with a lot of what we saw from a success level at the NFL standpoint overall from quarterbacks in 2018, I think Murray fits a lot better than Haskins. I think he opens up the deep passing game in a way that I don't think Haskins will. And I think that he opens up. Not the short passing game. Nick, how do we qual – I've always been looking for a word to quantify the passing game. Uh, what do you consider the kind of the backfield passing game, the the, the the routes out of the backfield to running backs, and not over the middle of the field, but more uh, horizontally speaking? What would – is there a word? Uh, I mean, just – I mean, well, <laughs> it could be anything, but, you know, you're kind of looking at quick game, including the backfield. Quick to, game, including to screen. Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. Out screen. And so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 go ahead. Okay, so maybe there's no term for it, and that's fine. But in that regard, I thought that Murray stood out exponentially more than anyone I watched in this class and considerably more than Haskins, who I believe struggled a little bit with the quick game ladder. It's, it's hard for me to, to over-podcast and go over the type of throws I'm talking about, but I do think they're extremely important at the NFL level, uh, especially if you're trying to get the playmakers the ball in space faster and for things that may not develop over the middle of the field in that in the quick game, but can develop for more quick hit throws. And so, you know, if I if I believe that Shermer is the coach who could curtail his offensive game plan to Murray, then I just think that he has the arm talent that is, you know, is at a is at an all different level for me in this class. And that, you know, none of this even touched my evaluation of Murray really is based mostly on what he can do on script and what I saw him do in the pocket. When you talk about the stuff he does off script, both with his arm and legs. Then you really add another layer to this, at least for me, um, as far as projection goes to the next level. So that's where I stand. I know we stand differently. It'll be fun to look back over the years, Nick, uh, on Haskins and Murray. And it, I always find it funny, too, because I think that, you know, development of these quarterbacks at the NFL level is so dependent on just like so many factors and variables that have nothing to do with just them individually that it's so hard to judge, you know, if you got if anyone got something right or wrong. But I think this will be a fun one to track for sure, Nick, as we move on. and. As we move on to the next segment, I want to talk about our predictions for what we think the Giants will do. Not what we would do, what we think the Giants will do. So I'm going to let you start this off, and you could go in any direction. You can go, they will trade the pick, up, down, whichever direction, or they'll use it on a specific player. And this will be based on what you think, you know, how you personally, Nick, think the mock, the draft will play out before the Giants. So with the number six pick, give me a prediction for the Giants. Haskins, <laughs> it's, I think it's a lot simpler than than uh, I fall on the line with the guys like you know Emory Hunt and those guys, and just you know it's it's a lot simpler than it than it's than it's maybe being out to be, and I think it's going to be Haskins at six, and they need the quarterback, they need the quarterback going forward, and uh, you know the other angle here um, is is Rosen, I think that that's very very close. I just would have thought that you would have seen it already, you would have seen the trade already, because I don't know why the, the Cardinals don't really want to wait. I think the Giants' bid is out there, and I think their bid is where they think it's appropriate. And I think that's fine. That's where you should be. So I just part of me thinks that the that the, I believe um, I guess it was Antonio Brown. I think a big part of it is trying to get the Raiders four right. one, and, and and so I think that's actually out there, and I think that they're okay with Rosen too. So you know, and but in general, I I still think they will go with Haskins. I think that it's the you know he fits he fits the profile now. So that's that's what I think. I do think that if you if you're looking at a combo of what they will do, I think it's going to be that, and then I think it's going to be Farrell at 17, and then I think you're looking at an OT one, whoever's there at this in the second round, uh, OT one or a another defensive kind of playmaker, if you will, um, if they if they you know if if you get there to two. Well, you just went and jumped the gun here, Nick. I wanted to do a pick by pick breakdown, but it's fine. We'll go <laughs> Sorry. We, we can handle it. Uh, for me, I don't think the Giants are as interested in Haskins as you do. I uh, could be wrong about that. And I did want to ask you, in your prediction, are you suggesting Giants will stay at six and Haskins will be there? Or are you suggesting they'll trade up for Haskins? I think I think they're I think it's fifty fifty. I think it's fifty fifty. I, I don't I don't think the Raiders are gonna be as interested in Haskins as people would out would would think just because honestly, and this is crazy, I think that that Gruden or someone is going to want to go for something crazy like lock it for if Bieber throws that, or more importantly, 
um, Murray at four, as opposed to the, the the guy with a little safer pick in Haskins at four. Um, so I, I I think that he still will be on the board, but they may have to trade up for shit. Yes, and if that will that happens, they will be with the Jets, uh, and and it'll probably be a a, a, two, <laughs> a steep price. <laughs> yeah, it would be a steep price if they were forced to make that decision. But for me, I'm going to go with my prediction here, Nick, and then we're going to touch a little on some of the things you said. I think they'll stick at six, and I think this draft's going to fall to them the way that they want, what I think they want. And I think Josh Allen's going to be the pick at six. Um, and I think that's what they want the pick to be. I mean, obviously, they would love to get Quentin Williams. I don't think – I think he has much – I think he has less of a chance to fall to them than Josh Allen does. Um, you know, the reasons you just went over and we just went over, his evaluation and overall outlook is a little higher than, than Allen for both of us. Um, I do think that – you mentioned some other things I want to touch on. At 17 – so that's my prediction for six. Um, like I said, I just think that – their evaluation of Haskins is a little bit different than you feel it is. Um, I think they 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 might view him to have a lower floor than you do. Um, but again, we, who knows? Just my prediction. I think at 17, since you touched on that, you mentioned Farrell. I, 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 me and you stand differently on Farrell, and that's also fine. I think at 17, it's going to be very interesting for the Giants. I think a lot of it depends on what you brought up earlier, Nick, the Josh Rosen potential uh, possibility of a Josh Rosen trade. Now, until recently, Nick, I didn't think there was really any chance the Giants would be able to outbid the Redskins for Rosen. But now there's some reports suggesting the Redskins are not interested in Rosen. I don't trust the reports. What I do trust is that is is a couple interesting facts about the Redskins who I think are more interested actually. And Nick, this will be my bold call for the podcast. So we can always go back to this if it somehow comes right. Are more interested in Dwayne Haskins than they're leading on. Um, Dwayne Haskins obviously grew up in New Jersey, then moved uh, to, to Maryland after working with Sean Springs, former NFL quarterback, Ted Bullis, and that's the same school where Daniel Schneider, the, the Redskins owner, atten- uh, son attended. I think there's a small connection there, but I think more importantly, uh, with some of the interest they've shown in him during the pre-draft process and some of the things I've read about their potential interest, I think they're more interested in their leading on, and I think the Redskins are a team that's prone to make moves big moves like this one um, and trade to trade up for a guy like Haskins. So if they're out of the mix, I think the Giants have a much better chance to land Rosen at the price that you, and like you said, I'm with you. I think there's an offer already out there. And for whatever reason, the trade hasn't been announced. If there's a trade that's gone down, it hasn't been announced because the NFL put a gag order to create buzz for the draft or the Cardinals feel maybe like they can get a bidding war going on draft night. But as you said, Nick, I mean, all logic suggests that their trade value would go down for Rosen if they wait. So if they were to trade for Rosen, it does affect what I think they do at 17, Nick. But I think otherwise, Daniel Jones will potentially be in play for the Giants. And I know Jones is not a favorite of yours, Nick. And I'm talking about at 17, potentially even trading up from 17. But I think more likely it would only be at 17 based on Gettleman's comments. Uh, because he did say we think we're going to get a player we like a lot at 17, which makes really makes me think that they're not going to trade up uh, for anybody. I think more. I think honestly, I know a lot of people disagree with me on this, Nick, but I really think the Giants are going to let this draft come to them at six and 17. I don't think they're going to trade from off of either spot unless and I'll get to that in a second. They trade for Josh Rosen. Now, assuming they don't trade for Josh Rosen under this scenario, I think the Giants will sit at 17 and they might take a guy like Jones. I think. You know, I went back and watched a lot of Jones. I actually see more of a ceiling than I originally thought with Jones. I don't think he has any kind of plus arm talent, but I think he has enough arm talent. I really do. Um, and I think he fits a lot of what the Giants want at that position, Nick. Obviously, I wouldn't draft him anywhere. I wouldn't draft him at 17. I wouldn't draft him at 37 for me. Um, but I also have a different philosophy with these quarterbacks. The only quarterbacks I'm really interested 
that are available to the Giants are Murray, Haskins, and uh, Rosen. But if they don't, if they don't draft Jones at 17, I think it kind of could be just the best player available type of situation. And like you said, if they depend, if they go Allen, they might lean on interior defensive line, OT. Um, otherwise, it could be the opposite. But let's say they do explore a trade for Josh Rosen. In this scenario, Nick, I really wouldn't be shocked if they trade back from 17 to a spot, you know, like Peter King suggested, they trade back with maybe the Texans who need, you know, who want an offense tackle who they love, who dropped 17. Now by trading back, they pick up the 23rd pick in the first round, instead of the 17th, and an extra second rounder that they can now leverage in a trade for Josh Rosen and while still keeping their own second rounder. Um, and again, at 37, now that we'll just jump right into this, Nick, since it looks like we kind of dove into this early, I think the Giants will target a guy like Greg Little or, or Jerry Tillery if they fall. And I think, you know, maybe not just necessarily those names, but I think there will be an excellent offensive tackle or interior defensive lineman who falls to them at 37. And it could work out perfectly if they go Josh Allen off the edge, you know, a linebacker at number six. So that's kind of where I see 37 falling. But I think a lot of this like really will depend on if there is serious interest in Josh Rosen. Um, and the one final prediction I'll make, Nick, before we move on, the question is that I am very, very confident, Nick, that the Giants will not pick at number 37 and then make their next selection at number 95 overall. I know it's a weird thing to be really confident in because there's been no, you know, there hasn't been a trade yet and it's not easy to move back. But knowing Dave Gettleman and his history and how many future, you know, how many day four picks he has under his belt, I think there will be a trade to move back into the third round earlier. Um, or back into the second round with that number 95 overall pick and then some. Um, and we'll keep an eye on that because I do think the Giants are going to be aggressive on that front. Um, but now it's that time of the show we're going to get to, which is my favorite part, which is the questions from our listeners. we got a slew of questions today, which is awesome. Happy to, I'm happy to break them down, Nick. So let's dive right into them. Um, Matthew Arts asks, can Ed Oliver really be a good fit in a 3-4 Giants defense? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, he can as a sub package guy, um, but not, not, I don't think, as a starter. And it doesn't, again, you know, we, when we differentiate between a 3 4 and a, you know, they're playing 70% of their snaps in a, in a four, and basically a 4 2 5 nickel. So it's right. closer to an over front. It's not five defensive linemen. I don't think he fits in either, basically, for the I think that you're, you're going to have, a, I, I, I don't see it unless if you're, he's, he's a second rounder, basically, which he won't be. So you don't, don't really see him as a, a real spot there. And we touched on uh, more of an evaluation of Oliver earlier, Matthew. So if you do get a chance and you didn't hear at the beginning, circle back there. Um, Jason Torrance asked, is it possible for the Giants to trade back from the number six pick? Say Williams, Bosa, Allen, White, they're all gone. I'm thinking that they're looking to add another first rounder for next year in what they think would be a better quarterback class. Yeah, it could be. It could be if they, if they get – well, I don't really think they're going to do it, but it, it, it's not a bad thought process if you got Rosen with the idea that you could then, you know, if it doesn't go out, go as planned, you can then, you know, get someone next year. Um, but I don't, uh, I don't think, you know, I think that Gettleman does not trade back. And I just don't think the Giants in general either trade back. It's plausible. It's not, but I don't think it's possible. I don't think the Giants are moving off the six pick. Like I said, I think there's actually a better chance than usual. They're not than usual than ever for Dave Gettleman that they might trade back at 17 uh, or maybe even 37, but I don't see it happening at six. Um, Nemesis says, do you like any players late enough into the draft that you would be reluctant to trade any pick other than a seventh rounder? Uh, this one, I, I, you know, 
accounts make their money in rounds four through seven. Um, it's kind of like trading derivatives, trading options. It's like, you know, it's kind of boom or bust there. Um, I think the whole goal, though, for the Giants trying to rebuild an organization with a lot of holes is get as many picks at the top 100. Dan just kind of went over this. So I think that, yeah, they would package those things to get back into the, into the top 100. They only have, right now, it's four, right? Four in the top 100 or three? Correct, four. I can't remember. Four. Yeah, four. So it's so you need as many of those as you can, and especially the way they were kind of, in my opinion, hamstrung free agency. You know, you have a lot of need here. So I think that yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of potential starters in the top 100 versus guys outside of the top 100. Yeah, I just look at this thing philosophically. I'm not I'm not going to pinpoint. I have players I like Nemesis, but I'm not going to pinpoint someone who I pound the table for because you know I don't have the access to the resources the Giants or any of these teams do. And if you look at the history of players selected after the fourth round, there's a very high you know success rate in the NFL, even to just become an NFL starter. So. I don't think that – and listen, Dave Gettleman in his press conference said it pretty clearly. He said, you don't want to get into a situation where you have to cut draft picks, and they have 12 draft picks, and a lot of players they carried over from the 2018 roster, young guys, Grant Haley, Sean Chandler, Michael Thomas, just guys that I don't see them cutting from this roster, and that list could go on. I don't see them cutting these guys from the roster. They've already signed two centers to the roster. You know, just examples across the board, really, of this being the situation. So – I don't think the Giants are going to draft 12 players, and I don't think that they're going to be hesitate hesitant to um, to trade those pit, late round picks, and I don't think they should be. Um, Andre asks the last three Giants quarterbacks that were drafted were college seniors: Brian Nastib, Davis Webb, and Kyle Oletta. The latter two were senior bowl MVPs. With that said, would you say it's more likely they take one of Haskins or Murray, or if they took a player like, or would they take a player like Locke, Greer, or Jones? I think a little bit more. I think the old school, um, not old school, the previous regime, uh, the Giants of, of of pre, you know, the Bill Parcells Giants would would view it that way, um, not because of seniors, but because of games started, which is absolutely a valid metric. Um, I just think that if you look at the the two guys or the comparisons that you mentioned, I think there's. It, it, it's really pretty pretty night and day between the two groups. Um, so if you had guys of like traits. And you had uh, and you had the old regime. I absolutely think the number of starts would make a big difference. I think for this year, for uh, for the two groups kind of mentioned, I think it makes less of a difference, um, especially because of both guys they played for uh, within both within Oklahoma and within Ohio State. Yeah, and they and listen. They played for excellent offensive minds there at Oklahoma and Ohio State. But me, me, Nick, me, and you differ a little on this. I do believe the Giants are still of that mindset, and not all of which I think is an incorrect, by the way, uh, mindset and, and specific situation. You know, I believe that game start is important. I believe college experience is important. If I know, and I know it seems you know contradictory because of how high I am on Kyler Murray, but you know, I say that unless the arm talent jumps off the page, which for me it does with Murray. Um, but, you know, I think that will be a bigger factor for the Giants than Nick does, and Nick doesn't. And we'll, none of us know. You know, Nick brings up some excellent points why logically it shouldn't be as big of a factor for the Giants. Now, Nick's logic may not be the same logic as the Giants' logic. It may not be the same logic as my logic. That's just part of the game, and we're going to find out soon enough. But I think that's kind of where, where we would stand. I would say I would say we differ a bit on that. Um, Peanuts asks, are there any second-tier quarterbacks you've noticed the Giants have paid more attention to? Uh, they brought Will Greer in, right? Um, so I'll, 
I actually just went over this on, tw- on, on in an article, Nick. So I'm gonna so I'll sure. dive in here on this one. So there's five quarterbacks the Giants have met privately, privately with, and worked out privately, and met at the combine. All those things multiple times. There's five guys. It's Greer, it's Jones, it's Locke, it's Haskins, and it's Murray. Now with Locke, or I'm sorry, with Jones and Greer, they both had the pro day on the same day. People made something of Pat Shermer going to Greer's and. Chula going to uh, Jones's. I don't make too much of that. I know that after that, um, after that event happened, the, the the Giants also scheduled a private workout with Daniel Jones, and I think that's something important. They also did the same thing with Will Greer. Um, they've done it with all these guys. Now, those are the five that stand out. Besides that, at least publicly speaking, Nick and Peanuts, there's only been one other quarterback who got a private workout that's at least been reported with the Giants. Now, this is important to note because last year, obviously, after the Giants got in the fourth round of the 2018 NFL draft, Pat Shermer and Dave Gettleman pinpointed the importance of that private workout they had with Loletta down in Philly or wherever the area, I believe it was in the Pennsylvania area, and, you know, what it showed them. And, you know, what I saw from Gil Brandt um, earlier this weekend and, you know, kind of that eye-popping quote he had, you know, that eye-popping article he had where he compared Daniel Jones to Peyton Manning, uh, you know, he said it was like watching a young Peyton Manning. He did say that, Jones really caught the attention of a lot of teams during work during the private workouts. And, and, you know, the same was said for Greer about his pro day. So I think that's really where the teams get a chance and an opportunity to see these quarterbacks um, in a different setting and maybe put them in situations they might be in with the team. So say the Giants draft them. Now, with all that said, the only other reported private workout was with Jared Sinton, the quarterback uh, who, you know, me and Nick, Nick got a chance to, to break down at the, at the senior bowl. So, you know, and we talked a little bit about him. So if you're looking for a sleeper, that would be my guys did him uh, from. And so we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but that, but that's how I see it right now. And I know Nick, uh, you've, you've touched on him in the past, but give, give us a little quick outlook on Stidham. Uh, just rewatch the Stidham against the Auburn crap. I can't remember which defense it was. That's what happens when you watch too much tape and jam cramp tape at the end of the uh, process. Um, recently watched Stidham again. Um, really natural motion, a uh, little bit of a, kind of a hiccup in, in his processing to his, his biggest issues. When pressure comes, you see some wild throws in the wrong way. Uh, it's kind of eye-opening. Uh, you're kind of surprised that it actually exists at the college football level. I think he's got – the guy spins it. But his ability, he's a developmental quarterback who you're looking at the fourth or fifth round. And a lot of guys use the Malzahn excuse for why he didn't play well. I don't really get that because if you hate right. on him and Malzahn, then you're going to, and somehow you're going to hate on Justin Herbert too, because it's, in my opinion, not the scheme itself, but the way they use a ratio of run to pass. It's very, very similar to what uh, Oregon State does. So, or Oregon does, excuse me. Um, so uh, I, I see it. That, that's kind of him. It's a, it's a developmental quarterback. Guys like his motion. Guys like his, um, his ability to the deep ball with, with no pressure. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit like Jones in that in that sense. Uh, he's got a better arm than Jones. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's not that important to NFL evaluators. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not a huge fan, but we'll, we'll see. You know, the Giants might see something that they like uh, that really causes them to make that decision. Um, Ivy and Ruby asks uh, – Ivan Rupi, I'm sorry, asks, people have the Giants drafting a wide receiver with an essential pick, but the wide receiver corp is filled up as we speak. Who will the Giants drop, or how will they even utilize yet another receiver, considering they have Shepard, Tate, Latimer, and Coleman under contract? 
Yeah, I think the whole thing is 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 they need a bona fide speed guy. I don't think Coleman is that, or at least he wasn't that last year on tape. Uh, he's got to elevate his spot to the next level to do that. I absolutely do not think they're going to draft a, a guy in the draft, uh, a wide receiver in the draft. Um, I think there are some good deep threats, but that's what they would be looking for, uh, unless if something absolutely positively crazy happened. But even that, I just don't, I don't see it happening. I think that's what's kind of there's a lot of reasons, a lot of fallout from that type of thing. And, and yeah, I think that I think it's basically the position is, is settled. Yeah, I mean, I think not only is the position settled, Nick, but it's. A philosophical issue. The Giants, I hope, at least as far as what I think is the right way to build a roster. I've made the decision to stop investing so many premium assets at the wide receiver position via the draft. Obviously, they just, you know, re-signed Sterling Shepard and spent a lot of salary cap on Shepard and Golden Tate in free agency. But that's different than using those valuable draft assets, in my personal opinion. Um, so I'm hoping that's the case. But I wouldn't be surprised if a guy like Harry at Arizona State, I tweeted about this today and I wrote an article about this, you know, causes the Giants to kind of do something different because what we think again, Nick, uh, what me and Nick think here is not exactly what the giants are guaranteed to think. They think Dave Gettleman has used early capital picks on Kelvin Benjamin, a wide receiver with a lot of size and Devin Funches, a wide receiver with a lot of size. Harry wouldn't surprise me. I think that what he does best is yards after the catch via force missed tackles and broken, you know, creating con uh, yardage after contact Harry. And I think that that's exactly what Shermer values in a wide receiver based on, you know, the decision to re-sign Shepard, uh, their decision uh, to, and more so even their, their decision to sign Golden Tate at the age of 30. So it wouldn't shock me, to be honest. Um, Client9 asks us, if by some miracle Arizona passes on Kyler Murray, do you think that Gettleman will value him as the Giants QB1 and trade up to draft him? So I'll just answer this one real quick since it's kind of, you know, cut and dry for me. I can't make that comment. I, I have no idea because, like I said, it just depends so much on the interview process. So without any access to that or information, I think I'm just, it'd be unfair for me to answer that question for you. But Zach Mahoney, moving on to a different one, Zach Mahoney asks, do the Giants, and this one I think is a good one for you, uh, for you, Nick. Zach Mahoney asks, do the Giants really need to draft a quarterback this year? He said just how, quote unquote, bad was Eli in the second half of the 2018 season? Yeah, I, I think uh, the answer, absolutely. Um, I think when... Um, if you chart kind of aggressively plays throughout the season, uh, you see that there's a little bit of uptick from Eli from uh, his play versus pressure in the second half. And I've got a bunch of tweets on this if anyone wanted to see the, the numbers that I pulled. Um, in stuff that's not public, though, uh, you know, it, it's it's. I don't think the Giants' offense function really in, the, in, the, in its goal of distributing the ball to, to receivers in space. Uh, even in the second half, even with the numbers, even with the points per game, all those types of statistics. Uh, I think that in general, you know, you're going to see an uptick quickly through a new quarterback. I even do think that would be a rookie in the second half of the season. Um, you know, I, I guess the quintessential game I look at, and I, this is not the quintessential game, but it still mattered that meant something where I think it would have, a diff would have been a difference is the Titans game. And believe it or not, this is a random thought, but I actually think Davis Webb would have made a difference in the, in the Titans game because he would have threatened their, he would have threatened the, the defense vertically. And the Giants were just absolutely like abysmal against a, or anemic against a uh, playoff team. So against real competition, you know, if we're going to judge kind of good on good, as we say, uh, for, for draft prospects, that's how I would view the Giants in the second half. And when, when they faced those types of defenses, it was, it was not that great. Yeah. I think I, you know, I've made, we've, discuss this at length but i agree with nick there is a massive need for the quarterback position for me i still might pass on it nick and that's only because of the way that i philosophically view 
addressing the position. I'm not a fan of using anything other than really their number six or higher pick on one. And for me, I'm not, like I said, I'm not as sold as you are in Haskins. And and it's not, you know, I see the ceiling there for sure. It's just the floor I, I'm concerned with. And I don't think they're going to have an opportunity to select Murray. I think he will go number one overall. So if you do make the decision to draft any of the players after that, um, what you're doing is you're committing to not selecting a quarterback in the 2020 draft. I'm sorry, but they're not going to select the first-round quarterback if they take Haskins, Law, Jones, Greer, any of these guys, really, uh, unless it turns into another Kyle, a lot of third- or fourth-round pick. So in that scenario, you're really taking yourself out of 2020 draft, and in my opinion, probably 2021, Nick, because I know that we probably see this a little differently. But And again, this is not what I would do, Nick, just what I think might happen. I think the Giants are going to stick with Eli for the whole 2019 season. I really do believe that. Um, I think his stats will be a little better than they were last year, and the Giants will justify him being the better player than a rookie uh, who really, you know, is – and based on rookie struggles, I don't think that's as crazy as people think. But, you know, that's a debate for another day, uh, especially, you know, if they don't get Haskins or, or Murray for that matter. But so based on that, it kind of makes it tough for me to say you have to take a quarterback this year just based on that, that, that philosophy. But, you know, I think with what Nick said, the, the key, the key point here, Zach, is that both of us agree the giants massively need an upgrade at the quarterback position. And both of us agree the best way for the giants to get better fast is by upgrading the quarterback position. It's just kind of about how we get to that point. Um, the other thing I would say, and just before you even think about upgrading the quarterback, the QB one, let's say for one second, they don't draft any quarterback. Year over year, the quarterback room will be worse off. Yeah. And every other winning team upgrades the quarterback position. So what I don't understand, and this is, I would have this conversation with management. The way Dan and I talk, we're pretty open about things. I would ask management this question in a full-on discussion. I don't understand what world they live in because every other turnaround upgrades position by position group and increases competition. So if they're not even going to, if they're going to have a year, you know, everyone talks about the Jerry Reese era and all that crap. What about year over year? I think Webb is a better backup than Loletta just because of, you know, the little that we have on tape. So if you're, if you're saying that year over year, your quarterback room is going to be worse, you're not turning your organization around anytime soon. And that's unique to every other NFL program that exists. Everyone's in a one to three year time horizon. So for some reason, the Giants are in a five to 10 year horizon, I guess. I don't know. I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, that's, again, goes back to kind of the philosophical concerns and just not maybe concerns, but philosophical, how much of an impact that plays in, in deciding that position. Because I do think, you know, Nick, I, I totally see your point there and I understand it. But at the same time, I don't I think it does take them out of selecting somebody in that 2020 class. It really does. I don't think there's teams you don't find teams using the first round pick or, you know, number 37 or all overall or number 17, and then coming back the next year and trading up for a guy like Herbert. And, and let me say the caveat too. I'm also including free agency too. It's not just this draft right now. It's a fill. If, you, if you're not going to do that, like people look at the Eagles and it's like the Eagles drafted Wentz after they had Bradford. And then Bradford was their week one starter before they trade the week before they traded him. Right. Like, and they had Nick Foles throughout, during this process as well later on. Right. And so that's where it's like, if you're not, if other teams are using the premium positions and they're buying in and they're buying high and selling, or in some cases buying high, but selling higher. Instead, you have the giant shrinking from those positions where there are massive needs and there's big, big holes and you can't address them because those contracts are being taken up. So that's where I just, I, I don't understand at, at this point, you know, I know we've talked about the plan and we don't want to go into it, but I don't get it from a position position standpoint. It, it, it doesn't, 
there's not a lot of movement yet. And it's been, you know, it's been a year. Yeah. And we'll, we'll find out more, obviously, as we enter as, after this weekend, Nick, because, you know, for all we know, like you said, uh, your prediction could come true and the Giants could just be, you know, <laughs> putting smoke up the entire time and selecting somebody like Haskins or at six or, you know, maybe it's Locke or Jones at six, who knows, but they could be selecting a quarterback there. And we'll, we'll find that out as time goes by. Um, Dan George wanted to know our simple, you know, kept it simple. He just want to know our top three guys for six, 17, 37. I think we've kind of gone over that. Uh, I'm just going to do this real quick, Nick. If you want to jump in, you can. I, you know, I would have Murray, Quinn and Williams and Allen as my top three if I had to, you know, actual potential realistic, even though I'm not so sure Murray's going to be there at 17, you know, perfect world for me. Devin Bush uh, somehow drops, you know, a player like um, who I'd be certainly interested in. Christian Wilkins could somehow drop there to 17 just based on the position he plays. That would probably be my second target there at 17. Um, and then, you know, another player I, who I wouldn't mind targeting at 17, I actually, you know, like him a lot more than other people. Obviously, you know, perfect world Brian Burns might be there, but another player I like is is TJ Hawkinson. I think he could really impact this 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 team, um, you know, as a two-way tight end who can really help them what they want to do from a physical standpoint. Then finally at 37, my top targets there that I think could actually fall are Greg Little, the offensive tackle out of Ole Miss, a guy I like a lot more than other people do. Uh, Jerry Tillery, another guy who I just think has a chance to – drop there based on the fact that he really is best fit for the giant specific opening at that five tech in, in the three, four. Um, and then if I was, you know, if I, if you had to, if I was push came to shove and I needed a third target there at 37, Chase Winovich out of Michigan, I love watching him play. Um, you know, I tried to watch, figure out more on Gary and every time I watch Michigan, I see him and Bush just pop. So those are my targets there. Nick, is there anyone you wanted to add at any of those spots? No, I think that at the, at the 37 spot, I think it's really interesting if you want it on the offensive line. Kind of like you mentioned, um, the one thing I know that they like Calapio really, yep. really well, really, really. And, and I just would maybe throw a sleeper out there that, or someone they may look at is the A&M uh, center McCoy. I watched him today and I know that you know, we rarely see a center go and that type of thing. And, they seem set, but just something that was a guy to me that was a scheme versatile enough and ran in a pro style system for one year and really held up well against good competition that I could see the Giants making a move on there. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't rule it out, honestly, Nick. I think they've done in the past Western Richburg. Um, and I think that they view center as a really important position within Shermer's scheme. And yet, while I do think they like Lyle Pay a lot and they just obviously re signed Pulley, it wouldn't totally shock me, especially somebody who they think is versatile and could help them at guard as well. Um, Sean Lemery asks, how about some right tackle ideas for the Giants anywhere from pick number six through 95 rounds one through three? Um, so I'll throw a couple of out there that really intrigued me. Obviously, we know we talked about my favorite guy in this class in the last podcast, Andre Dillard, possibly at 17. I would kind of be honestly fine with any of those guys at 17. Cody Ford, Andre Dillard, Juwan Taylor, maybe if he somehow falls that spot at 17. I, I'm not as high on Taylor as other people are, but if he falls. And then at 37, you know, a guy like Greg Little, I would like, but I think, you know, off, off, Dave Gettleman said it said it at his pre-draft presser, and I don't think he's blowing smoke. He called offensive tackle one of the four deepest positions in this draft class, according to his evaluation. And I think, you know, later on, you know, I don't think you're going to be able to get Titus Howard anymore, who I like a lot at Alabama State, anywhere later than number 37. And I think he could be a surprise pick for the Giants at 37 if they really, really like him. But he's just met with too many teams privately to go anywhere later than that, or go anywhere near pick number 95. But a guy like Max Sharping out of Northern Illinois, a small school guy like that, 
could be a, a sleeper. Bobby Evans, the guy I've talked about, the other tackle at Oklahoma, obviously was better in 2017, but not bad in 2018. It could be like a similar to a B.J. Hill situation where they're watching Cody Ford and they're watching Kyler Murray and then Evans catches their attention. Um, then, you know, further down the list, there's some guys like, you know, uh, Chuma Dogba out of, out of USC. I'm not a fan of him, but I don't know exactly what the Giants are looking for at the offensive back system, so I'm not going to rule him off their board by any means. Um, and what about, like, Yadni Kajust? You know, Kajus yeah. is, is or Kajust. Obviously, the injury has dropped him down the draft boards, and people now view him as, like, a fourth-round pick. And obviously, we saw what the injury did last year to Crosby out of out of Oregon, who everybody thought would be, like, a, a second- or third-round pick at offensive back. Fell all the way down, I think, the round five to the Lions. Um, so, you know, that could happen with Kajus, and and – that could be another guy the Giants are targeting. Anyone else that you would you would see kind of in that rounds one through three range? No, and you mentioned some good names. I like Kajust on that on, uh, for for a guy for them. Uh, and I think that yeah, no, I honestly to be fair, I haven't I haven't studied a ton of the offensive guys on the, on the line side. Um, the other side of it, I, I just think that this is kind of the issue when you don't have a signed right tackle right coming to the draft with the need where it's like you're kind of sitting there. Yeah, you can't overlook this, right? Uh, if it's the second round, you, this is a huge position. I could actually make the argument that probably the if you're going to stick with Eli, it's it's like probably maybe the most important position, um, especially if you're going to take away you know Odo Beckham. You, know, you need he needs time and he needs time on his front side. Uh, so uh, yeah, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, and you know they I wouldn't totally say they're not going to address it in free agency. I think Mike Remmers, if his back checks out, will sign with the Giants, and he was he was pretty damn good and not pretty damn good, but definitely above average according to you know Pro Football Focus and what I've read in Shermer's scheme in 2017 at right tackle before he converted to the guard position and then got injured in camp and tried to play through the injury in 2018. So I think he would be kind of the starter unless it's somebody who just blows you out of the water or let they use number six or 17 there. Um, but yeah, Mike Meyer, Mike Meyer asks, based on what we know about the Giants and Dave Gettleman and what they determine uh, their value for draft prospects, is it safe to assume the Giants consider, if the Giants considered a prospect to be a developmental player, they would not receive a first round grade from them. This is a great question. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Um, I consider Daniel Jones a developmental player. I think that's not like a knock. I do too. Um, I think that you can get guys that are developmental players that have, since they're developing, you could say that in some ways there's their ceiling, although less than odds of actually hitting it could be higher. I don't think it's Jones, which is in general for the label. Um, I would look, I would say in general, you can't have a developmental player be in the first round. I don't think you can have a guy who's not going to start for you being, you know, if you're going to draft him in the first round, it's got to be a starter. So I, I think that way. But, you know, look, Gettleman doesn't have a, you know, is he has a track record, but it's not like, I don't know. I, I, I would look at that, but I don't think it's really safe to assume anything with him. I think yeah. he kind of sees himself as a, as a wild card. Hard. And uh, and yeah, and in terms of the quarterbacks, yeah, I don't think you could draft Daniel Jones in the first round, and I I don't think he's terrible either. <laughs> I don't think he's going to go in the third round. I think he's I think he's a pure, a very clear path to a backup quarterback, and that's what's cool. This draft is that there's a lot of those guys that have a clear path to, to as a development quarterback that could then have upward uh, higher ceiling. So you're you lean on your scouts a little bit more than other years where they can maybe hit on someone crazy in the fourth round. I do not think that's what the Giants can do. The Giants are not in that position at all, but it's. I think that's the that's the year for those kind of guys, not the guys to to overdraft. Yeah, and I think if you just kind of look briefly at Gettleman's history, it's tough to say 
if he would draft development player, I mean, he or somebody who they doesn't view as a starter. He did draft Vernon Butler um, in Carolina when he already had Star Latute and Kawan Short on the defensive line on the interior. So that was kind of an eye opening pick. You know, I, he just felt in his mind that he was way above the rest of the players he had graded on the board at the time. So I'm with Nick. It's kind of unpredictable. And that's why it's going to be more fun when we find out this weekend. We got one more question for today, Nick, and then we're going to wrap this up. TFET asks, my perfect draft scenario has Josh Allen, Allen falling us to six, and we back at 17, fourth this year, and a third next year to move up to 12 ahead of Miami for Dwayne Haskins. Do you see any shot of this happening? Yeah. In I mean, honestly, again, I think just, just for what we just said, I mean, maybe. Uh, I think there's a, there's a good chance that Allen may fall. Um, so that would put in a good chance, but in terms of packaging all that to then move up for Haskins, uh, I'd have to, I'd like the creativity, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think I'd have to say like, that's kind of, that's a lot. And I just think that if you're, if you're high enough on Haskins, yeah, it gets into why would you want, you know, you, you would really split the hairs between as a quarterback and, all that type of stuff between six and, and basically 12. I don't think they would actually do that. Again, I think that the way I would look at this is if you get a quarterback and then you're looking at Brian Burns at 12, that's what I would, that's where I think they would move. Um, and, and then again, that people would say, well, what, what's the difference? Well, I think the price would be potentially a little lower. And, and I think that it would be, I think that from rounds, I think, I think, in, I think there's really 10 very good players in this draft. I think that some of them are going to fall at 15. It's what's how it's it's what teams are going to want to take that chance and and, and be able to wait. Uh, and, and I think that so I think someone's going to fall. Of all the guys that we mentioned, we mentioned a bunch of really good guys. One of those guys is going to fall in the twenties, and that's where I think our team is willing to wait for that guy. If that guy's on their board, I think if Burns is there in the in the teens that the Giants may move back up. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to answer this question a little differently just because I think Nick touched on the main point here. Like, if you are high, that high on Haskins. Unless you're that high on somebody like Josh Allen, I don't think you pass on the quarterback. But more importantly here, I don't see many scenarios playing out where Haskins is not a top 10 pick in this draft class. Like I touched on earlier, I think his ceiling is just too high for that. People like Nick and a lot of people I like, Emery Hunt, there's people, you know, fucking Brooks, you can go across the board. Not only think that his ceiling is that high, but he also has a high floor. So for all those teams that potentially feel the same way about Haskins, one of them is going to trade up into the top 10 to select him. It's not like he's just going to sit and fall. It's just not how the quarterback position works in the NFL draft. You look at any draft class, even the one where Pat Mahomes, and, and I, I understand why you would ask this, T-Fed, because there was the class where Mahomes, you know, where the Chiefs traded up to that 12th pick, I believe. I believe it was number 12 overall, and that's the one you bring up in this scenario um, to select uh, Patrick Mahomes. But Mahomes and Haskins were, very, were in my opinion, very different quarterbacks. Um and and it was and most mostly because their competition in each draft class was pretty different, at least in my opinion. Um, and the needs at the quarterback position were a little different across the board with different teams. So for me, I just don't see it playing out because I just don't see Haskins being selected outside of the top ten. But on that note, we're going to sign off here. And the next time we speak to you guys is going to be even more fun because we're going to have a lot of new Giants players to evaluate, and the draft will be over. And there's going to be a lot more to talk about. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. And before we sign off, just one note. If you do appreciate the podcast and you do enjoy it, do us a favor and download, 
subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. It makes a massive difference. Um, we've seen some of your feedback already on there, and we both really appreciate that. And if you want to continue the conversation with us, it's always available to you. You can find either of us on Twitter where we will do our best to uh, where we do do our best to continue the conversation. We're both very active there. You can find me on Twitter at Dan Schneier NFL, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL. And Nick, you can find him at TMAC21 on Twitter. Um, and on that note, we're going to sign off and we'll speak to you guys next week. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.